Hey everyone, welcome back to the Yoga Biz Podcast. This is episode number 63, and today I'm bringing you a recording from a training that I co-hosted with my good friend, Allie. We talked about trauma-informed business practices, trauma-informed teaching, and really what this buzzword trauma means and how as yoga teachers, we can be more trauma sensitive and more trauma aware. As you listen to the recording, you will notice that we are answering questions that come up in the chat in real time. So as you listen to this training, I want you to imagine that you were there with us um, and definitely send us any questions or comments or feedback that you have from this training. We would absolutely love to hear it. Lastly, within this training, we mentioned that we are hosting a five-day trauma-informed business boot camp going down in mid-September. So if you want the details on that, go down to the show notes and you can click the link in the show notes to get all the information and to enroll with the early bird price of $127. So without further ado, here is me and Allie Hauk talking about trauma-informed yoga and business practices. I am so excited to be here. All right. So we have people who have worked with us before. We also have a lot of new faces. So first and foremost, I want to welcome you here with Ali and I, I am so excited to be here with all of you. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Meg Sanjamino. I'm the host of the yoga biz podcast. Some of you are listeners. I'm a registered yoga teacher and a business coach for entrepreneurial yoga teachers who want to build their businesses. We have current clients, past clients here, and also absolutely brand new yoga teachers in this space. Um, A lot of you know me because I run a signature coaching program for yoga teachers called the Yoga Biz Accelerator. Allie here, who I'm going to introduce in a moment, is our mindset coach inside that container. So we work together, um, colleagues, we're friends. Um, Allie is a licensed counselor, a registered yoga teacher. She's also a lot of other things as we all are. Um, so some of you have worked with us before and some of you haven't. Allie, would you like to introduce yourself and give a little bit of an overview of why we're here and why we're talking about this topic today? Yeah. Um, so Meg gave a brief inter- introduction of kind of some of my roles that I play. Um, but to give you a little bit more context, I I am still in school for my PhD in counselor education and supervision. And I have a master's degree in clinical mental health counseling from the University of Cincinnati. And I, yes, am also a registered yoga teacher and have my own wellness LLC, which is called the Parallel Journey, which some of you also are fans of. And use as a resource as well, which I am incredibly grateful. Um, And I am incredibly passionate about education and trauma and making sure that the world has access to information in a way that doesn't have to require being involved in academia. I think that there are a lot of benefits to having access to academia, but at the same time, it's not always, it's not always an opportunity that everyone can take advantage of. And so I will just name the privilege of being able to have and hold a master's degree and be able to then pursue a PhD as well. Um, And a lot of my passion came from my first internship in my master's degree. I was working 
in a nonprofit organization that was a school-based mental health program. And it, I was primarily working with people of color. I was primarily working with people that would be considered poverty level humans. So really low socioeconomic um, and typically families that weren't a traditional, and I'm putting big air quotes around that because we don't really know what that means, um, but a like outside of the typical nuclear family. So there were a lot of extra dynamics in their family roles. There was a lot of extra pressures, not a lot of access and opportunity to things. And as a person that grew up in a suburb with two invested parents, now they weren't together, but they were both invested in my world, seeing these new family dynamics was really jarring for me. And what I also recognized was that there was so much hurt in the midst of love and compassion. And there was one moment that really helped me understand that this trauma-informed stuff and this way that we do education and this way that we care for people might not be what I was taught to do in school and might not align with what I was taught to value growing up. And just to acknowledge where I came from, I'm Midwestern and in the United States, that means that we are polite but judgmental all at the same time, that we um, are typically passive aggressive in the way that we communicate our needs, and that a lot of times there's entitlement to being what the United States would consider middle class. So I came from a lot of like privileged identities and a, a lot of privileged values and ways of being. All of that to say, working in this very inner city, low socioeconomic community-based school was a huge learning process for me. So there was this one client that I was working with who was in eighth grade and I worked at a community-based school. It was kindergarten through eighth grade. And um, as this part of my job was to help prepare this person to go on into high school and you know, continue churning the wheel of public education. And as we were sitting there kind of doing some education planning, they shared with me that they weren't planning on going to high school. And if they were going to high school, they didn't really plan on finishing high school. As a person that is getting their PhD, highly value education. So in that moment, I had to check myself and say, okay, like this person must have a reason for why they are doing what they're doing and why they're planning their life the way that they're planning their life. And so I checked this judgment side of me and tried to come to the conversation with compassion and curiosity. And so I then began asking questions and saying, tell me more and help me understand, right? All of these things I was trained to do as a professional counselor. And what we came to understand about her thought process and her belief was what she had seen that came before her, that her mom and her grandmother and many of her 
aunts didn't complete high school because they had babies and they started getting checks. And that is how they were living their life. And this girl told me that she didn't believe that she was going to finish high school because she thought her path was to have babies and get checks. And in that moment, I had to check myself around my judgment, my values, because I did not understand the context in which she was coming from. And in that moment, I realized that I had so much unlearning to do that I completely pivoted what I wanted to do and who I wanted to serve in my counseling practice and has since shifted who I would like to care for and serve in all of what I do. Education, supervision, counseling, mindset coaching, much of it. Because I realized that I didn't have the context, but I did have some of the tools and knowledge and opportunity to access knowledge, resources, and support that opened up doors for people to learn and understand and have compassion for people that were different from them as well. So all of that to say that this was a life-changing and career-changing moment for me that helped me put into perspective how we can love people better. And that that is an incredibly beautiful, but also an incredibly messy process. And why I think all of this is so important. I love that story. Thank you. And today we're going to be talking about a lot of like the really important things Allie just touched on. Um, We're not going to shy away from the hard topics like privilege, right? Like, um, unlearning things that we've, we've taken as truth and norms and right. Yeah. And I think that's so important and it's so needed in the yoga industry. Would you agree with that? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Because inherently, and this is someone that, um, I very highly value in the field had shared with me that yoga is inherently trauma informed that this idea of being trauma-informed is a Western concept, right? Because the entire idea of yoga is liberation. And that with liberation comes community building, comes relationships, comes tearing down of systems, or at least acknowledging how systems have hurt people. And that if we were truly living by yogic principles, trauma-informed and trauma competencies are going to inherently be there. And so a lot of what we'll talk about today is framed within Western language, but I wanna acknowledge is inherently part of yogic philosophy. Totally, absolutely. So we're going to get to that question in a second, Bonnie. That's the first thing we're going to talk about. But before we, before we jump into these topics of, you know, what does it mean to be trauma-informed in the yoga industry here in the West? Um, 
and how can all of us learn more and implement more and be trauma sensitive, all these things. I want to first ask this community a question, and I want you to all answer in the chat. There's 22 of you here with us live. I think it's really important to first reflect on why you want to learn about this topic. So drop it in the chat. Why are you here? Why did the word trauma or trauma-informed inspire you to click register for this training? And we want to see your answers and we won't say anyone's names, but we might read some of them out because we want you to be very connected to your intention for being here today. So go ahead and share in the chat and we'll give you a couple, a couple seconds here. And my like spidey senses are tingling. I have a feeling we're gonna see some, some repeat words. So I'm seeing words like inclusive, diversity, sensitive to people's needs, safety. It's a word we're gonna talk about today. Trauma. Mm, yeah, bypassing. That one hit. that we see this as a buzzword, that trauma-informed is a buzzword, but it doesn't actually feel like there's been a shift in the space created. Yeah. Someone shares that they've been to trauma-informed classes, but they weren't actually trauma-sensitive. So it's this buzzword that people almost use as like a marketing tactic, right? More on safety. Mm, yeah there's also agency being talked about diversity beautiful what's beautiful about the reason i wanted to do this exercise primarily is all of us are yoga teachers or yoga teachers in training right? And we're coming to our teaching and to our business, right? We're not just going to talk about teaching today, sequencing, cueing, actual business practices, business activities. We're all coming to them from our own lens, from our own ex experience and with our own intentions. So we can't really teach you anything until we've acknowledged what is that lens? Why are, why are we here? Yeah. Hmm. And someone just touched on one of my favorite cornerstones of being trauma-informed and trauma-competent, which those of you who are in YBA know that this is like my tagline in our container, but human first. Human first. That it is not about achievement of anything, but an acknowledgement of humanness. Oh, yeah. So with that, Ali, do you want to jump just right into how you would define trauma, trauma-informed, um, kind of answering, I guess, that question that Bonnie popped into the chat, like right away, Bonnie's on it. 
Um, do you want to jump into like what this means for you as a counselor and a therapist? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a lot of what I read a lot of books, but a lot of the people that I read value and have learned from and taken pieces from acknowledge that trauma is a biological response to something that happens to us, right? That trauma is not just an event, but an experience of and an impact of an event that changes our physical biology, which then changes how we interact with the world around us, primarily for the purpose of protection and survival. So a lot of what I read about, a lot of what I do in my counseling practice is less around, and I still provide coping skills, but I also acknowledge that I'm working with the central nervous system. I am working with the brain. I am working with things that are most of the time unconscious until we bring them to the conscious space but that it's a lot of biology, way more than I think a lot of my clients anticipate when they come to therapy. And thus, a lot more than what they anticipate when they come to a yoga class, right? I think Meg froze, but we're, we'll keep going. So to be trauma-informed for me is to acknowledge that trauma exists, that many of us have been through an experience of trauma, and that it has changed us or made us adapt in maybe a way that we wouldn't have chosen for ourselves. And I think that there is a big difference in being trauma-informed, trauma-sensitive, and trauma-competent. And I think many of us are seeking spaces that are not just trauma-informed, but are trauma-competent. Meaning they know how to not just say the buzzword, but they know how to apply it in a way that creates safety. And we're going to define what that means of like, what is a safe space? Who is a safe person? Because that's important. And I think we talk about it. And this is also, I think, a lot of what my beef with not just the mental health field, but also with the wellness areas is that we give a lot of lip service. We jab about this stuff a lot, but we don't talk about how to apply these concepts in a way that has an impact. So to be trauma-informed is to know and understand that these things exist and who they impact. We have an incredible study that has been now published by the CDC that maybe some of you have heard about that is called the ACEs study, or it is the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. And this is around 
So it's a list. I believe it's a list of like 10 to 15 items that includes things from grief and loss to abuse to moments of crisis. And it's just a list and you just check them off. And it talks about um, things that you experienced before the age of 18, right? In Western world, that is how we define childhood versus adulthood. And so that is the marker for this study. What we have learned from that study is that there is a majority of people that have been looked at, 15,000 people I think have answered this, this study at this point. And of those 15,000 people, nearly 70% have experienced one or more adverse childhood experience. That's overwhelming. Because what that means is that life has impacted people in a way that changes their biology more often than not. So to be trauma-informed is to know and understand that. To be trauma-sensitive and trauma-competent means you know how to apply it. And so today, we are talking about being trauma-informed. I'm going to be sharing a lot of information with you, with opportunities to then take this further to become trauma-competent. I'm back, Allie. You're good. I was like, I'll just keep going. So sorry about that. And I, it's hard to know what you covered while I was gone. And for those of you who've worked with me before, you know, my Wi-Fi is the worst. Um, (laughs) So I want to, and, and let me know, obviously, if, if this is something you already touched on. I want to talk about some of, like, I want to talk about the very obvious, common, misused words in the industry, things that people say in their yoga classes, um, things that we hear over and over again, not just in the studio, but also in businesses that is not inherently trauma-informed, um, things that people can take away and, and really like start to reframe and change their language. Do you already cover this? You're smiling. Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah, the, this is great. I also just want to touch on what was shared in the chat briefly. Um, that there are differences between big T's and little T's. Yes. And the field has actually moved away from that language because what we are finding is that little T's that are persistent actually do change our biology in the exact same ways that big T's do. So we have actually just stopped talking about big T and little T trauma. And we now talk about trauma as complex trauma or like CPTSD, complex PTSD and PTSD. And if it were up to me and if it were up to some of the people that I really value in this field, it, um, I wish that there was a de- developmental trauma disorder as well because I think that it's not just about how it impacts us afterwards, but I think it also, we have to talk about how it impacts our development. So yes, I, I, we as a field have moved away from that language, but for those who have not um, maybe understood different like experiences of, of trauma to understand that 
there was this development of big T versus little t, which really just means little waves versus a big crisis event. Yeah, I like what I'm seeing in the chat as well. I, I agree with this, not being a therapist, but I don't, I think the concept of little t and big T trauma does create sort of this hierarchy, like one is worse than the other. And we're not, I mean, let me know if this is kind of like veering off on another topic, Allie, but like, I feel like as yoga teachers, it's not really our job to like dub people's trauma, a certain thing. It's, it's our job to create a space where anyone who steps into our business, our studio, our classes, our zoom chat, our room can come with whatever it is that they have, whatever has happened, you know, whatever they're carrying. Totally. Yeah. And we talk about this a lot in my education spaces of being an undergraduate instructor at a emerging Hispanic, um, Hispanic institution that we have people who have experienced things that I will never understand. All I can do as the facilitator and as the instructor in that space is create a space where people can show up authentically and be compassionately cared for while they are with me. Part of that is setting up boundaries in that space. Part of that is setting up expectations of language. But all I can do is facilitate that with a context and with a lens that majority of the people in that room have experienced something that either expanded or shrunk their window of tolerance in a way that they did not choose. Trauma is trauma. It doesn't matter the magnitude. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So, I'd love to know people, and let me know if I'm cutting in and out. My computer's telling me that my Wi-Fi is unstable for some reason. Um, we have a lot of people here who are, are clearly very passionate about this topic. I'd love to know in your experience, what are some things, some almost some like red, not a bad way to describe them, like red flags you've seen used in the industry, things that people have said. And then Allie, I would love for you to share um, the big ones that you've that you like witness? Yeah, for sure. So as they're coming up with those in the chat, I can kind of briefly talk about some of them. Um, I think big ones are, for me, cultural appropriation is a big thing in yoga spaces and typically a big red flag for me if you don't acknowledge that there's cultural appropriation going on, that you don't have an awareness of that. And if there's not an awareness that we are taking on something that is not ours, I would, I, I typically venture to jump to also that it's hard for you to have empathy for other people, because if we don't understand that, how that's impacting the roots of yoga, we also may not understand how that impacts individuals. Second yes. big thing that I see is yes, cultural appropriation. You did hear that right. Um, Yet the second thing that I typically see is around language used for certain postures and asanas of one being a peak pose, 
something being an advanced asana, some, and I'm putting air quotes around all of this for those of you who are just listening to this, um, things like modification instead of variation, um, something that like we were talking about with trauma, something that puts things on a hierarchy instead of on a spectrum. And I think that's a big difference. The third big thing is consent and how much consent and agency is given to students. And as much as I love how there is a, a teacher-student relationship within the guru setup, there is also has to be an awareness of agency of the individual, awareness of the individual, and the limited capacity of the teacher or guru or however you would like that to be termed. I love that a couple of people dropped things in the chat right as you were saying them, words like up-leveled, um, modification. I, I can't, can we talk about that for a second? Because I was taught the word modification in my yoga teacher training, and I used it for a really long time. I would say, do this pose, but if you need to modify it, right? Insinuating that if you're not as good, insinuating that if you're not as strong or as flexible or as good as everyone else, then change. Yeah. And I absolutely, and this is, if, if anyone else is like, yeah, that was me too. I didn't, I didn't realize what I was doing or saying this. It's one of those things. I almost just took it from other teachers and just duplicated it as a yoga teacher without even thinking about it, which is what we do as humans. It's literally how we learn how to talk. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, we are, we are the people here in this, in this room right here in the zoom chat, we're the ones that are going to be teaching the next quote unquote generation of yoga teachers. And what we've learned in our YTT really matters. I was also taught to sequence my classes with a peak pose. Mm-hmm. again, insinuating that there is like a goal. a prize, like a gold star, if you could do dancer, right? Totally. Yeah. And, and people are offering other examples in the chat that I want to touch on. Um, so acknowledging sensation, right? That sensations that come up in our bodies are cues for us. And part of the beautiful practice of yoga is learning to trust those sensations and those cues and to know what they mean for us in that moment, in that context, right? A lot of what we will talk about in trauma-informed and trauma competencies is intuitive agency being something that has to be relearned, reframed, and re-understood. So yes, acknowledging those sensations that come up, being able to say that it's okay that your body doesn't have access to these things, right? That it is not a, it is not an ability issue. It might just be a, a physical, I, my arms are really long or my arms are really short and my, I can't do this pose to look like that picture over there because that's not how my body is built. Those aren't my proportions. There is an acceptance of accessibility. There is an acceptance of things not looking aesthetically the way that we want them to, or have been told that they should look. 
right? Some of the some of this uh, diet culture seeps in to these conversations very easily and very quickly. And being able to then acknowledge that variation is accepted and valued, right? Which then inherently leads us to diversity being accepted and valued. Because if we can accept diversity in, in the way that we show up in a physical yoga practice, we might also be able to take that and bring acceptance, compassion, curiosity, and love to people who have different experiences, different beliefs, different insert, whatever you would like there. Right. When we, when we use language that creates, to reuse the word that we've been using, hierarchy, right? When we use language that makes it sound like if you can do this pose, you're doing it right. And if you have to modify, you're less than, what are we, what are we left with? We're left with an industry where only strong, slender, flexible humans are feel welcome. And let's use the word quote unquote, safe, feel safe in these spaces, which I think is, is what we're seeing, especially like over here in the West. Um, which is why like, it really does matter the, the language that we're using when we're leading people through a practice that might be new to them, might not be new to them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. I also want to, um, I want to like echo the consent because someone in the chat touched on it a little bit. This is real consent. I think we all can agree and feel pretty strongly that consent is important in the studio. You don't touch someone without asking. I still have gone to classes where teachers touch me without asking. And it blows my mind that that happens. Um, yeah. But this also really matters in our practices as business owners. A lot of us are entrepreneurs. A lot of us are business owners. Whether this is a side thing or a full-time, we are dealing with enrolling people into our businesses the same way someone steps foot into our studio space. Yeah. Um, and I want to talk about that a little bit in a second, but, um, I think those mirror each other pretty strongly. I'm going to read through some of the chat here, but I don't know if Ali, you have definitely, anything. yeah, I'm going to comment on that as well, because I think, I mean, we're, we're even trying to do it here, right. That we don't want to share any of y'all's names. We'll share your ideas, but we don't want those to be then tied to names because you all didn't consent to being part of the podcast. You all didn't consent to being part of the replay as named humans, right? So even in the way that we set up this workshop and in the way that Meg and I do a lot of our workshops, for those of you who worked with us in YBA, we work very hard and we still slip up. There are moments where I still, as an educator, value names so highly that sometimes I slip up in being not naming people in things that are recorded. Right. And even in virtual spaces, not recording other humans doing the sequence, but recording myself doing the sequence because I'm the only one that consented to the video. I am the only one that consented to my body being shown in that way. Yeah. And someone in the chat touched on something really important. Consent is not always assumed just because someone consented yesterday 
doesn't mean that they consent today. Right. Like we have people in our coaching program who are on this right now. We're still not going to use their names. We're still not going to show them. And obviously that's, this is like an obvious example. Maybe it's not, maybe it's not an obvious example, but, um, you know, in a studio, just because a student wanted hands-on adjustments yesterday, doesn't mean that they feel okay with it today. Um, Definitely. Yeah. And that just like our bodies change every day, our experiences of our bodies change every day and moment by moment, context by context, situation by situation. Yeah. It could very well be that you wanted to be adjusted yesterday, but you don't want to be adjusted today because of the other humans in the room. And like, I need to be okay with that. And I don't have to know why you get to choose and have agency around that. Yeah. I also love that someone here touched on spiritual bypassing. Mm-hmm. Huge thing that's very common over here, especially yeah. in America. I can't speak for other countries, but um, that's misusing words like namaste, misusing words like karma when you don't know the proper meaning, whenever you're, you know, whittling down the actual meaning to something, um, all of that can be, is incredibly harmful. Can be really, really, really harmful. So thank you for um, the person who shared that in the chat. Yeah. And there are so many layers and I wish I could get to everybody who is talking in the chat because you all are adding such beautiful context for those who are here. So I want to acknowledge and thank you all for that. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. Do you want to switch gears a little bit into um, some of these concepts, but applied to how we run our businesses? Yeah. So trauma-informed business practices. And for all of you, I know not everyone on here is necessarily like full-time or considers themselves a business owner. Don't worry. If you work with us, we will, we will help you with that. That's a big part of shifting your identity into a business owner. Um, but as yoga teachers, we provide a service. So we're talking, whenever I say business practices, we're talking marketing, sales, lead generation, things that all businesses, brick and mortar or online have to utilize to have cash flow and have a business. So Ali, I know you have lots and lots of good ideas on this topic. Yeah. So trauma-informed business practices in general, I think start and end at consent um, and agency, right? Uh, there were people in the chat talking about people, people making you say yes or no to things out of guilt or out of shame or out of embarrassment, right? These, or, or out of fear, right? I was just reading a, uh, a journal article about how negative reinforcement is a lot about teaching people to respond to fear instead of to respond out of consent and agency. Agency being your personal decision-making skills. So you have the agency to say yes or no to things. You have the agency to advocate for things to be different. I would like a consent card when I go to a yoga space because I don't just want to put my hand, my thumbs up, yes or no, at a certain moment to let you know that I want to be touched for the entire hour. I want to be able to flip that card back and forth depending on what pose I'm in or depending on what I'm experiencing in my sensation. 
right? So, because there are certain poses where I don't want to be adjusted. And then there are others where I'm like, yes, please. Right. It really just depends. And so a lot of what, when it comes to business practices as well, it's making sure that we understand that people have and should be still given the opportunity to say yes or no. And that that can change. And it's exactly like what it, it, it is a human first. If, if for those of you who haven't heard the term human first, I mean, it's, it's pretty self-explanatory. It's about putting the humans first, right? Yeah. So not shoving everyone into a box of everyone needs to do things the same way. So just like in a yoga studio, we don't want everyone to contort their body into the same exact pose because every body is different. It's the same in business. Right. Um, I would love to share a couple of things that I see in the industry all the time as a business coach that are not human first. Yeah. Um, creating a ton of fake urgency. Has anyone ever been on a call with a, with whatever, I don't know, like a health coach or a wellness coach or something. And they're like, yeah, you can work with me for a hundred dollars today, but if you wait till tomorrow, it's $7,000. That is creating fake urgent. That was an extreme example, obviously. <laughs> I just watched someone's eyes get really big. <laughs> um, that's creating fake urgency to make, to not allow you to go through your process of making a decision. Yep. It's, it's making you feel like, oh my gosh, like panic. If I don't do this right now, my life. Yes. Someone in the chat said pain points, like picking up people's pain points, which is another way of, not creating a trauma-informed space. You don't know what their pain points are. You don't know what triggers them from things that have happened in their experience. That's like a, a really common one I see. Another one is forcing people to communicate in a certain way without giving them a choice, right? Saying the only way you can join this program is if you get on a call with me. Not trauma-informed. Would you agree with that, Allie? Yes, yes, because options right? I think that is one of my big struggles with working with insurance. That is one of my big struggles with working in higher education is that there is only one way to do things. When really, we don't know access opportunity. We don't know where you're coming from. So making sure that we understand that people may need different options for payment, for access, for all of it. People need options because no one and no business is going to have a client that is one size fits all. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And how incredibly relevant is it to the whole concept of like variation over modification? Yes. Right. Like who here has, has, has had to do like a payment plan for something and they make you feel really about it because that's option two. That's like using a block, right? Right. Like that's like using like a prop of some kind because you're just not good enough. Like we'll still let you pay. You're just less than. Right. Um, We're having to ask for that as an option instead of it just being offered to you, right? So as much as I value agency and advocacy of, of clients, I also value 
offering options before I even assume that you can or cannot. Right? The options should be upfront. They shouldn't be a afterthought. Yeah. And that goes for yoga sequencing or business practices. Yeah. We don't offer variations just because we see somebody struggling. We offer variations because they are all accepted offerings. Yeah. yeah. Same note. I'm not going to say, but I'm going to say, and because, and as business owners, it is important to have boundaries. Yes. Right. So I want to like add to that by saying that sometimes the early bird end tomorrow, right. Or like there is urgency, there's natural urgency, right? Like you're running a sale and the sale ends tomorrow. And that's very real. Mm -hmm. Um, something that we teach, we can't get into it too much, but something we teach in the yoga biz accelerator is sales whenever you're right. Like when you're selling a yoga program or private sessions or something, giving your students enough time to go through their sales process, right? There shouldn't ever really be a time when you should, to the best of your ability as a business owner, make it so that they have enough time to go through their process, to make an informed decision, to maybe shift around funds if they need to, to talk to their partner, to do all these things that fake urgency or manipulative business practices intentionally don't let you go through that process. Right. Like they don't make it possible to go through that process. Yeah. Yeah. I would totally agree. Oh, I love what I'm seeing here. I just have to like, I'm going to read this one out. This is why it's important to embrace the role of a business owner. Yes. I'm going to, I'm going to hard yes to that. Mm-hmm. Accommodate. Yeah. A ton of variations. Love it. That the sales process is about your client, not about you. Spot on. Yeah. Human first. Mm-hmm. Not like income first. Like we all need income. We all need to pay our bills. We, of course, that's important. Um, That's all I'll say about that. Yeah. Before we go any further, I want to define a couple of the terms that we've been talking about and talking around, but haven't actually like defined for people. And they're big buzzwords that you'll hear all over the place. Safety and triggers. So triggers are the experiences of urgency and sometimes manipulation that make us feel like we don't have choice. And they send our bodies into sensations of survival mode. If you choose to invest more into your understanding of trauma-informed and trauma-competent practices, I will define those. Today, we don't have time, but those triggers, those sensations can be environmental. They can be physiological. They can be emotional and mental. They can be from a lot of different things and typically stem from our sensory input. Meaning we see something, we hear something, we taste something, we 
feel physically tactile something that is uncomfortable in a way that our body responds with protective experiences. We either become avoidant or we even become, yes, smell something. Thank you, Christy. Um, we even become maybe angry or upset about something, right? Irritable. What I have learned, and this is not a every time, all the time thing, but what I have learned is experiences of anger, frustration, irritability are typically stemming from a place of protection because the purpose of those things is to push away or tamp down out of protection. Totally. Someone mentioned the body keeps the score. And I would like to add on to that because Bessel van der Kolk is not my favorite human. And I will name that every single time I talk about that book. It is a wonderful resource. And if you haven't read the body keeps the score, I would recommend this instead. The body remembers written by a person who is socialized and identifies as a woman. Her name is Rothschild, Babette Rothschild. Bessel van der Kolk, um, you can do your own research on him, but he is a fantastic researcher, not my favorite human. The way that he navigates the world, I do not believe, actually aligns with what he researches and writes about. Others do. Well, we'll we can link that book that Ali's holding up for those of you who are just listening to the podcast or watching the replay, we can link it. Um, so as we kind of, so as we approach the hour here, something that I, as a yoga teacher and not a mental health counselor, because I want to name this again, that I am not a mental health counselor, Ali is, I have felt personally, and let me know in the chat if this resonates with you, a lot of pressure to be perfect when I'm teaching or do everything perfectly. Like I said earlier, it's actually really hard for me to admit that I used to say modification a lot in my classes and I had to unlearn that. And sometimes it slipped out. And I think we've all experienced, um, things that we've done and then we've learned, we've had to unlearn them. So this isn't about being perfect. No, I would say it's about learning and self-study. Really, this is a practice of self-study. Yeah. And it's a, it's a practice of vulnerability. What I have learned from Brene Brown, what I have learned from a few other authors, but she, she's really the big one is that vulnerability and messing up and acknowledging our failures is one of the most beautiful ways to connect with other humans on a really human level. Because when we show up authentically human, we are inherently not going to be perfect. Totally. Uh, yeah. And what a beautiful opportunity for connection. Because what I have found is that when I mess up during a class, 
when I acknowledge something or use very use modification before variation or offer a modification after I've offered the peak pose or whatever, right? The person who offers me that feedback, one, is taking the opportunity to be vulnerable themselves, right? And show their, their moment. But it also gives me the opportunity to meet them there, acknowledge that I'm a human and say, we can care for each other differently and better. And thank you for showing me a different way to care for you. And thus a different way to care for all of the other people that I see impact and interact with. Yeah. Some of the most powerful conversations I've had with students, because I think we all have experienced students who come in to yoga classes with an expectation of like, I'm not flexible. I need to get stronger. The best conversations I've had is with students who are like, thank you for I like a really, a really, um, common thing that I teach is malasana squat, but I don't actually do it because my ankles are bad and I sit on a block. That's how I malasana squat. That's my malasana squat. And I've had students say like, I've never done it that way before. I only did it that way. Cause you demoed it that way. And it made me feel like I was doing it right. And we had a whole conversation about what's right and wrong in yoga. And I love what I just saw in the chat, which is ugh, to scroll up. I don't want people to quote unquote, look up to me. I want them to feel like I'm on their level because I am, because we're all humans. We're all imperfect. And that's really what teaching in my experience is what teaching is about. Totally. And ultimately getting to that piece of yoga that is liberating us from any specific path, right? There is no expectation of right or wrong. There is only an expectation of Svadhyaya being this process that is cyclical and something that is a pursuit of, not an achievement of. I feel that deeply. Yeah. All right, Allie. So we're coming, we obviously want to want to respect everyone's time. So it is two minutes until the hour. We might stay a few minutes over. If that's cool with you, stick around. If not, you'll be getting the replay of this um, in your inbox a little bit later today. Um, but there's 20 something of you on here live with us. I would love to know if anyone here feels like they want to dive deeper into this because Allie and I are hosting a five-day boot camp together in September. And we're diving deep into these topics and we're going to basically, Allie, do you want to talk about bootcamp a little bit? I feel like. Sure. Yeah. I'm super excited about it. Yeah. So am I, <laughs> I want to make sure everyone on here gets like first dibs. Totally. So it's a five-day bootcamp. There will be partial recordings available. Um, as an educator, I highly value something called Bloom's taxonomy, which is this framework of learning that doesn't just take things from a I show you and tell you about it, but also takes it to a apply, create something yourself and receive feedback. And so I am the first half of the week will be recorded and an opportunity for you all to have and like reuse and have as a resource. The second half of the week will be application, feedback, and and reciprocal learning. 
Um, so the first two days, maybe even three days, I can't remember at this moment in time is lecture where I will be defining trauma, defining the survival responses, going really in depth into the literature and the actual like nerdy knowledge that I love. And then you will have an experience of a trauma-informed class in the way that I believe we can sequence, in the way that I believe is an opportunity to learn inclusive language and things like that. And then the last couple of days will be opportunities for you all to write and present and receive feedback on your own cueing, your own sequencing, and how you use language in a different way from what you had learned earlier in that week. And so it, it really is a deep dive application oriented way of learning all of these skills that we've talked around today. Yeah. Um, I wanna, so I do wanna say, I just dropped the link in the chat. I'll drop the link again. Roll. Um, I'm gonna answer some of these logistical questions, Ali. I don't know if you saw them pop up. So the dates are September 13th through 17th. So it's during the week, 13th through 17th at 12 p.m. Eastern. As Ali mentioned, um, the lecture workshop portion will be recorded if you have to miss it. Um, and we'll try to accommodate people as best we can in different time zones, depending on how many people um, are signed up. Uh, I'm trying to think what other questions do we get? Will the practical stuff apply mostly to queuing or also business messaging? Um, the, so day four, I'm looking at the schedule. That's why I'm looking up here, but the open work time on day four is going to be sort of office, office hour style. So you can ask whatever questions you want to, and I will be there to answer business questions. Ali will be there to answer queuing and sequencing questions, um, and stuff like that. So hopefully that answers that question. Yeah, and if you click on the link, all the information's on there. Yeah, and we'll do breakout rooms for both of those days. So if you would like to hear more about like business messaging and things like that, you'll be able to go into a breakout room with Meg. And then if you would like to know more about creating kind of the practical safe spaces and queuing and sequencing, you'll go into a breakout room with me and you'll be able to bounce back and forth. Yeah, yeah. So this is like a really, this is the, a, a very like intimate space with Ali and I, which we don't offer very often because the yoga biz accelerator for those of you who have been through it, um, is much more business heavy. It's much more marketing, selling stuff like that. Um, so this is a space where we are going to cap it. We're not sure how many people we're going to cap it at depending on interest, but we want to be able to give you all personalized support, personalized feedback on your teaching style and also your business. So, um, this is $127 right now. That's like our early bird price is $127 for those of you who signed up for this. Um, and for those of you who shot for obviously for those of you who signed up live or came live. Mm -hmm. Are there any other questions on that? I feel like we touched on most things. If you click on the link, everything that we just said is on there. Yeah. So if you have any more questions, you can um you can pop into the, into the sales page. And then Ali, I don't know if you, if you have time, do you want to answer this question that just came up about um, trauma aware versus trauma informed? Yeah. Um, so we can have an awareness of all of these things and not have it change the way that we use language. We can have it not change the way that we market and set things up. Um, so I think that there's a difference. And I talk about this a lot in 
in counseling education, there's a big difference between having the head knowledge and being able to spout words off and connecting that to my heart in a way that changes how I go about navigating spaces and using language. So I would say that most of you coming into this training were trauma aware, right? You knew what some of these words were, you had heard them, you acknowledged that they were important. And now hopefully you feel a little bit more trauma informed in how to take some of those things that you were aware of and shift your language a little bit more. And then there's research around how we become competent around something. Part of that is advocacy, part of that is application, right? And so my hope through boot camp is then to create those, those of you who would like to become trauma competent, trauma competent yoga teachers. Yeah. Business oriented minded people. Yeah, taking like theory and putting it into action, something we talk a lot about in my programs and Allie's work as well. Yeah, to answer that, that other question, are we able to call ourselves trauma-informed? I think that there is no regulated way of being able to say someone is trauma-informed, right? That is that's what my dissertation's on. Um, so the, there is there is no regulated way of people being able to use that term in the same way that like using Esquire is a protected term for lawyers. Counselor is not even a protected term for counselors. Play therapist is a protected term because you have to have a, a credential to go along with it there are no credentials for trauma-informed. So that's my non-answer to that question, sorry. I also, and, and this is as someone who has never done a trauma-informed certification, um, I would say it's kind of similar to the coaching industry. It's kind of a unregulated space, but to answer this question, you absolutely 100% can say that you went to a trauma-informed training with a certified licensed counselor, um, which is, yeah, which is exactly what this boot camp is. Um, yeah, that answers it. Yeah. Okay. All right, so hopefully, so you all will be receiving the replay in your inbox as well as a link to sign up for bootcamp. Um, and if you have any questions, feel free to respond to the emails that you've been getting from me and Allie, quote unquote me and Allie, but it's my email, um, to ask any questions that you might have. But as we all know, this isn't something that can be talked about in, that can be fully like dove into deeply in 60 minutes. So we really hope that you do consider joining this boot camp so that you can not only learn a little bit deeper, right? Ali is going to present on a lot of these topics, answer a lot of these questions a lot more in depth, but also give you a chance to practice, to receive feedback, to be in a community of other teachers who are passionate about this because we, we are 
changing the industry. Someone said it earlier in the chat that this wasn't something that was talked about years ago. This wasn't something that was talked about when yoga was first brought to the US um, or to the West or to all of the countries that we live in, right? Like this is something that's so important and it's something that I truly believe needs to be addressed and talked about and learned about in, in the wellness and yoga space. Super important. If you have questions, if you have feedback, I would love to read it in the chat. I, I see lots of thank yous. And, and as much as I appreciate that, I, I am also an educator who likes to learn and grow. So if you have takeaways or if you have things that came up or feedback for us, please, please share. All right, everyone. That's a wrap. <laughs> That's a wrap on Megan Alley. We hope you have a beautiful rest of your Monday and rest of be here to answer questions, just shoot me an email and I'll make sure I share with Allie. Also, if you're not in the Facebook group, make sure you join the yoga business strategy Facebook group, and you can put any questions you have in there as well. We also would love your feedback. If you, Oh, you want the link. Here's the link. Someone asked for it. Oh, did you mean the link to the Facebook group or did you mean the link to the Facebook group? Okay. I'll put it in there as well.